Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast. With me today is Dory Clark. Dory is the author of Reinventing You and Stand Out. She's a former presidential campaign spokeswoman. She teaches at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, and she's a consultant and speaker for clients such as Google, Morgan Stanley, and the World Bank. Welcome to the podcast, Dory. Ian, thank you. Great to be here. Hey, fantastic. So, Dory, you've done something very interesting that I think our listeners would like to try and replicate for themselves. You've written for a number of major publications like Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and a lot of other magazines and online publications. And of course, that is really great for help building your profile generally. Of course, it can get a bunch of traffic to your website. And of course, having links to your website from those publications can't do anything but good in terms of your rankings in Google as well. So it obviously, writing for major publications can be very helpful from a business perspective. But the big question is, how do you do it? So that's that's what I'm going to ask you about today. And I'm going to start by asking how you got started writing for these major publications. Absolutely. Thanks, Ian. So I really wanted to publish a book and I tried writing uh, multiple proposals and seeing if I could get publishers to bite on them. And the feedback that I kept getting was that my, my profile, my platform was not big enough. And so I realized I needed to, to start at square one and uh, begin to, uh, to build that profile. And I figured I, I liked writing. I was a pretty strong writer. So I thought blogging would be the way that I would do it. And so really when it comes to getting published by by uh, major outlets, there's two pieces that you need to think about, and we can talk about about each of these and explore them. One is creating the kind of content that they would be interested mm -hmm. in, and the second is actually doing the networking and the outreach in yeah. order to get there and get picked up by them. Um, so very briefly, I'll start with the latter one because that's that's a place where I get a lot of questions. Um, I would say that uh, the the kind of triage that I did. First of all, was that I reached out to uh, friends and contacts that I had who already blogged for those publications. If you happen to have that, you can find out from them um, how did they break in? Mm. What what do the outlets look for? What are their tips for you? Who should they pitch, etc.? They might even be willing to make an introduction for you. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that inside track, that can be very valuable. Um, you can, for instance, look um, on LinkedIn at your, you know, search through your contacts and see if someone writes for an outlet. You might not even be aware of it, Absolutely. but uh, it turns out, oh, look, this person writes for a fast company. You can ask them questions about it. So that's great if you have that resource. If not, then you can do some some cold calling, essentially. I mean, in my case, I did cold emailing, but I actually did do this. Um, I went through a pretty intensive uh, cold calling process, and that was how I ended up getting to blog for Forbes. So I can speak to that experience as well. Okay, so I mean, first of all, how did you choose which magazines you would go for, which publications? I guess there are some big no big names like Harvard Business Review, Forbes, etc. In any kind of field, but did you go for those first? I mean, how did you decide what to target? So the very first thing that you should do if your goal is to write from your publications is to uh, to make sure that you have a, a certain number of clips. And, you know, this is the old-fashioned uh, journalistic term. Uh, clips are basically articles that you've written previously that have right. been published. And so um, it, it's a little bit difficult uh, from a credibility point of view if the only thing you've ever done is publish things on your own blog or on your LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. to immediately going to a top-tier publication. So you want to try to get uh, to essentially follow what's known as a ladder strategy mm -hmm. where you start reaching out to places that are 
achievable and get a few clips there and then use those clips to leverage yourself into the the next higher rung. Um, so I, I would say good starting places to look for. I mean, you know, you want to have a few things that you initially do just to just to get comfortable, just to mm. find your voice um, with, you know, writing on your own blog or, or your own LinkedIn profile. But then you can begin to say, all right, um, does my company have a newsletter? Or, you know, if you work inside a company or maybe your local chamber of commerce does or maybe a professional association that you're involved in mm. does, you know, something where you have a, a tie and they may be looking for content. So you can begin to do that. So by the time you start to pitch an editor at Forbes or Fast Company or other analogous publications, you want to make sure that you have clips from publications that, that they've maybe at least heard of. Mm. And that gives you a, a sense of credibility when, uh, when you're walking in the door. But in terms of answering your question, Ian, about how I was able to uh, develop the list of publications I wanted to write for, um, essentially what I did was I, I took a day and I made a kind of wish list of publications that I would like to be associated with. And I thought broadly about this. Um, it could be um, business magazines. It could be uh, you know prominent regional newspapers. It could be cable television networks that focus on business news. You know all sorts of things like that. And I, I just made a list of about two dozen. And then I went through to their websites and I looked for two things. Number one. Do they have a blog? Because some do, some don't. And then number two, if they have a blog, do they only have contributions from paid full-time staffers or do they also take contributions from outside folks? If they do, then they're going to be a lot more likely to at least consider my submission. Mm. So that's how I created my initial target list. Yeah, you don't want to be the first outside outside person writing for a for a, for a, for a publication because it's going to have to be a, a big approval process for them to make that decision. But if they've done it a number of times before, it's going to be a lot easier for them to just check you out and see whether you're as good as the people they've currently got. Exactly right. You know, as she as you were speaking, I thought, you know what? I wonder what one thing you could do is if you look at some of the bigger magazines you want to get featured in, like Fortune, etc., and you saw who was writing for them currently, but maybe was a relatively new writer. So if I looked at, um, if I kind of looked at Fortune and Forbes and places like that, and saw that you were writing for them, what I could do is I could Google your name and see some of the other publications that you've written for in the past. So I could, you could almost backtrack the ladder that other people have followed based on who's writing right now for the magazines or publications that you're interested in writing for. That is a fantastic idea. I, I endorse that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I felt a bit sneaky when I thought of it, but <laughs> but I think that could be a little bit of a shortcut to finding, because not all of us, I guess there are some obvious publications, aren't there, that we would all want to get into, but the, the lower down ones we might not know. We might know our local ones, but there might be some other local ones around the world, other professional journals that we've just not heard of. But by searching for authors who've written in the places we want to write, we can see which ones they've also written for. Yes, exactly. That's that's fantastic. I love it. So how do you decide on what kind of topics you, you would you would pitch to them, for example? So as you're thinking about topics, um, typically what I've done 
a given publication, um, they almost always have a section on their homepage that lists their most popular articles. Right. And so I would go to that first because that shows you what topics their uh, their audience cares about. You know, maybe um, for a certain publication, they only want finance or other ones really seem to do well with leadership or creativity or whatever. Um, and, and it also shows you the style. If you can begin to emulate the, uh, the style for your pitch – will be a lot more likely to say, oh, clearly this, this fits in. Mm-hmm. Um, some, you know, the, the big divide in a lot of business publications is, uh, is pro or con on listicles. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and so some publications love it when you do, you know, eight innovative ways to hold your next conference or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and then other publications hate that. They would never post something with a number in the title because mm-hmm. they think it's too cheesy or yeah. whatever. So you need to know uh, the nuances of what has been successful in the recent past for that publication mm-hmm. and then try to model your style and approach on it. Great. So that that gives you the, the kind of topics. And would you make a kind of short list of, of two or three topics you could write for and, and suggest write about and suggest those? So typically, if I'm approaching somebody for the for the first time, if I was sending them a pitch email, mm-hmm. what I would want to include in it um, is the the following information. So number one, um, I'd want to introduce myself and offer just a little bit of biographical information, you know, some highlights so that they know who I am. Um, it doesn't have to be that long. Uh, maybe a few sentences. You can link to a bio in there if they want mm-hmm. more information. Number two is I would want to have uh, links to previous posts. This mm-hmm. is the clips. Um, so your best pieces for the, the most high-profile outlets that you currently have under your belt. Mm-hmm. And the third piece is I would want to suggest for them uh, in general, the kinds of topics that I would want to write about. Um, so at this point, I wouldn't necessarily go into super depth with your pitches, but I would say, you know, I'd, I would be really interested in writing about uh, leadership, especially um, especially leadership and millennials. I would be, uh, you know, delighted to, to contribute as frequently as you might need. If you would be interested in seeing specific pitches or if this sounds like it might be a fit, please let me know and I'd be glad to send you, um, you know, more thoughts or ideas right away. Um, and, you know, j- and just put that out there. Um, you don't want to deluge somebody that you've never met with right. a three page email, but you want to be ready if they express interest and they say, yeah, yeah, we, we do want more stuff about leadership and millennials. What have you got? Um, you want to be ready pretty fast to send an email on quick turnaround and have concrete ideas. Again, this is not the place where you give them a whole article, but what you'd want to do is, uh, is do maybe, a paragraph or a little less than a paragraph about each story idea. Maybe you give, you know, three, three or four story ideas. Um, you know, let's, let's say three or four sentences of description a piece so that they can get a feel for whether the idea seems interesting, whether it seems innovative. And then if they like it, they might say, hmm, well, you know, number three sounds pretty good. Why don't, why don't you send me a draft? And then the dialogue can continue and you'll go in depth on that. Okay, so it's like a two-step process where in the first step, you don't make them work hard. So you don't send them a whole load of information because I guess they're busy people. They don't want to have to read three or four pages of email just to find out what, you, you know, what your offer is. You, you make it nice and short and snappy. But if they are interested, you can go back quickly um, with more details. And I'm guessing when you reference your clips, you ideally 
as you said, you want the most prestigious places you've written for, and you probably want to find ones that match the style of, so if, if it's one of these places that looks down on listicles, you probably don't want to reference all the listicles you've written. You want to reference some more thoughtful pieces with different kind of um, styles. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Excellent. So, um, so that's the, the, the pitch email. Um, by the way, do you, do you often get paid for, um, you know, writing for some of these publications? Cause I guess some of them have got, uh, paid, um, authors and contributors on, on, on staff. They do. Um, so the way that I would think about this is in the early days, if you're in a position where you're going to them, odds are you are not going to get paid because they have a lot of people who want to write for them and they sort of have the mentality that they're doing you a favor by mm -hmm. letting you write for them. And so I, if, if it actually really is important for your brand building efforts to get these clips, then I, I wouldn't push the money issue. Um, I would say, you know, kind of like a job negotiation. Um, once you get into the, the negotiations and they seem interested, then at that point you could, you know, you could ask, never hurts to ask. You could say, by the way, do you offer compensation for this? Hmm. And just see what they say. And they may say, yeah, you know, we, we give everybody $50 a post or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but they may also say, well, you know, it, it's, we don't always do that and it's difficult and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, at that point, if you really need it, I honestly wouldn't push it yeah. at that point. If you get to the point where you've begun to build enough brand that they come to you and they're asking you, then by all means, you should say, well, you know, I'm glad to do this, but I have a lot of places I, you know, that I'm writing for. I have limited time. You know, I would need to be compensated. And so over time, that that's the evolution that I've been through. I mean, I started blogging in 2000 you know, sort of seriously. And it wasn't until the beginning of 2012 that I got uh, a paid engagement for blogging. And, you know, even then it wasn't very much. Um, it, and it was later on, it was a couple of years after that in 2014 that I had a, a kind of major publication proactively come to me, want to have me contribute for them. They actually initially did not offer me money. They just, you know, said, oh, we really want you to write for us. And so I, I was able to, at that point to be in enough of a position to play hardball and say, look, I'm happy to do it, but I have a lot of places I could be writing for. If I'm going to work with you, I need money. And then they agreed uh, to pay me. Okay. So actually talking about writing for a number of publications, do you, to what degree do you kind of reuse material for different publications and and how do you adopt or adapt what you're doing tailoring what you're doing to the to the publication itself do you try and write in their voice as well as your voice for every writer over time if you do it enough you develop your own distinctive voice but um really where the shaping takes place is I think at a higher level it's it's the level of how do you frame your story so um, you, you might have a really sort of serious think piece about something for a kind of highbrow publication mm -hmm. where you do a lot of research, you quote, you know, you, you quote a lot of studies, you have a lot of links, you know, you're sort of like, you know, maybe you're writing about, um, uh, you know, w whatever it is about, uh, change management in professional service firms. But for another publication, you could say, um, 
you know, three, three mistakes you can't afford to make when it comes to change management. And for that, you don't have the studies. You, you know, you, you are instead talking about, um, your own experiences. You have a really prescriptive thing where you're saying, well, you know, one, one mistake you can't afford to make is not, uh, sharing your vision with people. And so one time I consulted for a company where this happened, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, you kind of go through. So you can draw on similar wells, but I think that at, at a very high level, when you're thinking about how to frame it for the, um, for the publication, it almost suggests different paths for you. And it's almost kind of like the article style rather than your personal writing style that you're, that you're changing. Um, you know, you're having more or less data, more or less case studies, simplifying the message, making it prescriptive versus making it analytical to fit with the publication itself. Um, rather yes. than, rather than adding more kind of metaphors and, and, uh, and, and flowery language in there. It's not about your, your writing style. It's about the, the nature of the article itself. Yes. I think that's well put. Okay. And, and that means you can, if you want, use similar source material for different articles because it comes out very different. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, the thing you don't want to do is have, and you know, this is where numerous people have gotten in trouble. You don't want to literally have the exact same text where you're, you know, just taking a paragraph here and, you know, splicing it into the, the article wholesale. But, you know, there's no reason in the world that if there's a, if there's a study about change management that you think is interesting, you can't cite it or refer to it in two different articles. Mm. Possibly in slightly different ways and in uh, in different points of the article at different times. Yes, exactly. Okay, so going back to your bigger strategy, the ladder strategy. So you've you've got some initial publications. You've targeted some smaller places to write for. You've you've called, emailed them, or, or gone through one of your contacts to get an introduction. You've got something published in there. And what's next in terms of moving up to bigger publications? So. Essentially, um, you know, what I can tell you a little bit about, uh, about what I did and, you know, my path. So in 2010, when I started blogging, the first thing that I did was reach out to my friends that had, uh, relationships with publications. And surprisingly, perhaps even that didn't always work. Um, I had numerous friends try to introduce me to their editors. Sometimes the editors would write back and, uh, sometimes they, they wouldn't, but it was clear they weren't taking it seriously at all. Um, which was very frustrating. But finally, I was able to get connected to the Huffington Post, my friend Michael Silberman. And so I began writing for them and that was great, but it wasn't a straight up business publication. So I, I wanted to continue trying to find other outlets. And that summer, I sold my bicycle at the, on Craigslist. It was just a, a random thing that, that I was doing, but it turned out that I ended up selling it to a woman who worked for the Harvard Business Review. And she, I wouldn't have even known it necessarily, but she had looked me up online to make sure I was legitimate. And when I sold it to her, she mentioned casually that that was where she worked. So I asked her, Hey, how does somebody get started blogging for you guys? And she, after a couple of reminders, was willing to connect me with an editor there. And fortunately, because I had spent the entire summer 
formulating these elaborate pitches that mm-hmm. never went anywhere with the other uh, publications. I had tons of stuff to give him and he ended up liking my material. And, uh, and so I, I was able to get started writing for them within a couple of months. And that has been a, a very fruitful relationship. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my second blog post that I ever wrote for them, it was called how to reinvent your personal brand ultimately became a, uh, expanded into a Harvard Business Review magazine article and then eventually became my first book, Reinventing You. And so apart from the fact that it was a, obviously a brilliant success, it sounds like there may be a couple of lessons to learn there. Um, one is just keep knocking on doors because it was only because of all the previous pitches that you were, almost had the perfect pitch ready for the HBR guy when you got through to him. But it also sounds like um, obviously, not everyone can uh, can sell their bicycle to to someone with with contacts, but it sounds like it, you were making it visible that you were writing and things like that. So when this lady checked you out, she could see that you were kind of in that field. And I guess that's a point about you know if you are trying to um, write for various publications, don't be shy about it. You know, let people know. And you don't really know where the connections are going to come in from. But if you don't make it visible that you are trying to write for these publications, um, no one will ever hook you up because they won't know about it. That's exactly right, Ian. And the Harvard Business Review connection was pure luck. But um, the the later one that I got um, about a year later um, with Forbes was actually purely the the product of brute force because that was the place where i sat down and made the list of two dozen publications and then slowly whittled it down uh to places that i would you know cold email about three got back to me two of the email chains very rapidly fizzled out and didn't go anywhere but the one that did was with the managing editor of forbes and they were looking for contributors and i ended up signing on with them um with in about a week of uh, sending the email, I was signed on as a contributor, and I ended up writing regularly for them for three and a half years. Excellent. So that, so in terms of ratios, you've got to do quite a few emails, cold emails to get through. Um, it sounds like what you did was you revisited your earlier strategy. So you'd started off making a list of publications you wanted to work for or write for. You did some initial ones with the smaller ones. You got on with the Huffington Post, etc., and then you went back and did it again to get to the next letter of the ladder. Yes, that's that's right. And you do have to reach out to a ton of places. I mean, it it, it is insulting. Let's be honest. It is insulting that as a former professional journalist who used to get paid for writing articles, I was reaching out to these places and saying, hey, I'll write for you for free. Do you want that? And then they don't even bother to respond. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But they're they're overwhelmed. They, you know, some of them are jerks. And so you just have to have a thick skin about it. Yeah. Uh, but when you finally are able to, to crack in and break through, it can be very powerful. Okay. Sounds like you have to swallow your ego a bit. (laughs) So the big question then is once you do, I guess even when you get started with a smaller publication, but then of course, when you want to, you you get up to the bigger ones, how do you get the full benefit from that? How do you use that to help you with your branding, with business development? Well, so there are some obvious ways. I mean, 
it's the first thing that should go in your bio. Uh, so you, you want to associate yourself uh, in a f- form of social proof mm. with these uh, with these brand names because people will say, oh, well, if she writes for this publication and that publication, she must be vetted. She must be high quality. Mm. Um, so people are more likely to be interested in hearing what you have to say. Um, but other other ways to, to think through how to benefit from it um, – I mean, it's, it's important to understand how you can and can't benefit from it. Sometimes you'll get people who will email you and say, Oh, you know, can I pay you to write about me for Forbes or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is clearly unethical and contrary to the service terms. I mean, you're, you're intended to be a journalist. You're not, uh, intended to be using this as an opportunity for direct financial gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's off the table, but. What you can certainly do is use it for now that you want to meet and connect with. This is perfect. You know, reach out to them and say, can I interview you? And odds are, if you have that powerful brand name behind you, they'll say yes. And mm. so you get to add to your network really interesting people. Um, so that's a great way to indirectly benefit from it. Um, another important thing that is just useful to keep in mind, some publications allow this more than others. Um, but it's especially helpful if you are able to write for a publication that allows you to very visibly have a bio signature line underneath your article, because then um, you can have links to your website, links uh, potentially if they allow this to any downloads or giveaways that you have so that you can use it as a list building tool and to drive traffic back to your site. Mm. So, so you may use that, in fact. Um, obviously, if you get a chance to write for Harvard Business Review, you're probably going to say yes, no matter what <laughs> they do with your bio. But I guess for some of the smaller, the smaller publications, if you had a choice, you'd go with the ones that also allowed you to have the links back to your website and to your free reports and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. It's, it's just kind of an, an easy way to, uh, to weed through opportunities and fit. Fantageous. Excellent. Excellent. And so for people listening in then who, who've been through that and they're thinking, you know what, this sounds quite, this sounds quite good. Obviously, you're gonna, I'm going to work on the assumption that people thinking of this strategy have something to say of value and they can write reasonably well, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, of course, your style develops and you get to become a better writer by blogging more frequently, etc. But let's assume people have a baseline where they've got something to write about and they can write. Um, how, what's the best way of getting started? Going back to what you said earlier. So if you're literally starting from, from zero, then I would say the, the first thing is to, uh, write, um, for your LinkedIn blog, because that way you can, you can begin to develop your voice. You can get comfortable with what topics you find interesting. Um, you can begin to just hit your stride by practicing. Mm. So you want to have a few of those under your belt. And then the next step would be, um, starting to try to contribute a few articles to a just slightly bigger publication. You we were talking about some of these earlier, maybe something for the newsletter of your professional association or something along those lines. Um, you want to you want to start slow and take time to make sure that you feel really comfortable and really ready with from the literary perspective right. but once you do then um you, you can go ahead and and just move aggressively to try to reach out to editors and see if you can break in at higher level publications so that so in a way the slower part is is getting comfortable with it and making sure that you're you're producing really great stuff and then once you've got that and you've got your few smaller references, then you can be you can go a bit faster and you can be more aggressive at trying to get placed in, you know, a step up the ladder and then a further step up. 
Yes, yes, exactly. Excellent. Dory, that has been really interesting. This is something I am seriously considering myself, I must admit, um, in that I, I obviously I, I write a blog. I've almost accidentally been asked to do various guest articles in a number of places, um, but I've never um, pushed to go higher. And uh, it sounds like something that's distinctly possible. It sounds like you have to do your homework. This is not a, you know, just write a few quick emails and everything will fall into place. If we think back to your strategy earlier of researching the individual publication, the sort of articles that work, whether they accept articles, the right kind of style for them, looking for connections, that sounds like it's work. And you've really got to put that work in if you want to make it a success. And even then, you only get the, you know, the three out of 20 responding. But it sounds like if you put that work in, you can really make it pay. Yes, that that's exactly right, Ian. It, it's it's been a critical strategy for me in terms of my brand development mm. and making a lot of other things possible. So I, I think that if folks are intrigued by it, it's worth investing. Brilliant. And if people want to find out more about what you actually do, and I know you talk about th- this a little bit, but you also, of course, have your work uh, on personal branding and standing out. Where should people go to find out more about that? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so I- Folks can go to my website, which is doryclark.com. And in fact, if people are interested in developing their own breakthrough ideas and building a following around it and, and spreading the word in publications and, and other ways, I've developed a free 42-page workbook that I adapted from my new book, Stand Out. And uh, folks can download that for free on my website, doryclark.com, which is D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. And I have more than 400 free articles there. And uh, I'm also active on Twitter at Dory Clark. And my books are Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Stand Out Networking. And they're available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lots of other good places. Excellent. Thoroughly recommend people take a look into those. Dory, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, and I'll speak to you soon. Ian, thank you so much.